welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 14, the second of several parts concerning the Sumerians. Last week, I covered much of the background information for the Sumerians, from the development of writing to the influence of their sexadecimal numeric system on our lives today. If you missed it, you really should go back and give it a listen. There will be a little review of the last episode interwoven into this one, but it shouldn't bore you and is necessary for the narrative. So let's get started. First, a little modern history. In 1922, English archaeologist Leonard Woolley went to southern Iraq hoping to find the Sumerian city-state of Ur. At that time, many people felt that Ur was only a myth, but Woolley, the son of a clergyman, was fascinated by the stories his father told about Ur, which, according to the Bible, was the birthplace of Abraham. At least that's what's implied in Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. Woolley decided to excavate near the ruins of a ziggurat and began to dig two trenches. In doing so, he found that that site was the ancient Sumerian city-state of Ur. Woolley's discovery of Ur, along with many artifacts, gives us a glimpse into what life was like in Sumer, somewhere around 4,500 years ago. But I'm going to back up about 8,000 years. With the migration of people to the region that would later become Sumer, their history unfolds from approximately 6500 to 1750 BC, at which time the Sumerians ceased to exist as a separate culture. This was after Sumer was invaded by the Elamites and the Amorites. First, there was the Ubay period, which was from about 6500 to 4100 BC. Then came the Uruk period, from about 4100 to 2900 BC in which cities began to emerge across the landscape, and the city of Uruk rose in prominence. The kingship also arose at this time, and the city-states of Sumer came to be ruled by a single monarch. First, let's begin in the beginning. The region of Sumer was long thought to have been first inhabited around 5000 BC. This date has been contested in recent years, however, and it is now thought that human activity in the area began much earlier. The first settlers were not the Sumerians, but a people of unknown origin whom archaeologists have termed the Ubaid people. Sumer was first settled before 6500 BC by a non-Semitic people. The people who originally settled this area are called Proto-Euphradians or Ubaidians, named after the village of Al-Ubaid, where their remains and artifacts were first discovered. The Ubaidians were the first civilizing force in Sumer. They drained the marshes for agriculture and developed trade. They also established industries such as weaving, leatherwork, metalwork, masonry, and pottery. After the Ubadian migration to Mesopotamia, various Semitic peoples immigrated there as well, adding their cultures to the Ubadian culture, pretty much creating a pre-Sumerian civilization. The first farmers from Samara, a region in central northern Iraq, migrated to Sumer and built shrines and settlements. Beginning around 5,500 years ago, The Sumerians built cities along the rivers in lower Mesopotamia, specialized, cooperated, and made many advances in technology. Sumer was the site of the earliest known civilization. Located in the southernmost part of Mesopotamia between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, in the area that would later become known as Babylonia, this area is essentially in what is now southern Iraq, from about Baghdad south and east to the Persian Gulf. The Ubaid period is marked by a distinctive style of fine-quality painted pottery, which spread throughout Mesopotamia and the Persian Gulf. During this time, what is thought to be the first settlement in southern Mesopotamia was established at Eridu, around 5300 BC, 
by farmers who brought with them the Hajid Muhammad culture, which conceived irrigation for agriculture. It appears this culture was derived from the Samarian culture from northern Mesopotamia. It is not known if these were the actual Sumerians who are identified with the later Uruk culture. Eridu remained an important religious center even after it was gradually surpassed in size by the nearby city of Uruk. The Haji Muhammad culture was centered on a small village in southern Iraq, which gives its name to a style of painted pottery in the early phase of what is the Ubaid culture. The pottery is painted in dark brown, black, or purple in a geometric style. The culture is found between the earliest settlement of Eridu and the later classical Ubaid style, which is found as far north as Raz Almeya, southeast of present-day Baghdad. The Hajid Muhammad period also saw the development of extensive canal works for major settlements. Irrigation agriculture, which seems to have developed first at Shagamami in eastern Iraq, near the border with Iran around 4700 BC and rapidly spread elsewhere. It has been theorized that the development of the irrigation form of agriculture was the first required collective effort in centralized coordination of labor in mankind. The archaeological transition from the Ube period to the Uruk period is marked by a gradual shift from painted pottery domestically produced on a slow wheel to a great variety of unpainted pottery mass-produced by specialists on fast wheels. The Uruk period is a continuation and an outgrowth of the Ubaid period, with pottery being the main visible change denoting the transition from one period to another, and this occurred sometime around 4100 BC. Now you may be wondering why pottery is used to define periods. Well, quite simply, remember this is prehistory with no real written records, but also because the pottery has survived for the thousands of years and the changes in its style and decoration changed as time progressed. Sumerian civilization began to form in the Uruk period, which was largely during the 4th millennium BC. Superficially, Sumerian culture appears to have come about as a fully formed civilization with no prehistory, which of course seems a little difficult to believe. But such is the nature of societies prior to writing and therefore the recording of history. Backing up a bit, the term Sumerian is the common name given to the ancient non-Semitic inhabitants of Mesopotamia. The Sumerians refer to themselves as a phrase that translates to literally mean the black-headed people. And they also refer to their land as a phrase meaning the place of the noble lords. The word Sumer itself is Akkadian, and it means the land of the civilized kings. I'll cover the Akkadians later, but for today, just understand that the Akkadians inhabited the region after the Sumerians. Also, the Hebrew name Shinar and the Hittite Shanar all refer to southern Mesopotamia and could be variants of the word Sumer. By the time of the Uruk period, which lasted until about 2900 BC, the volume of trade goods transported along the canals and rivers of southern Mesopotamia facilitated the rise of many large temple-centered cities, several of which had populations of over 10,000 people. These cities had centralized administrations employing specialized workers. Archaeologists consider it to be reasonably certain that it was during the Uruk period that Sumerian cities began to make use of slave labor. These slaves were captured from the hill country to the north. There is ample evidence for captured slaves as workers in the earliest text. Artifacts and even colonies of this Uruk civilization have been found over a wide area ranging from the Taurus Mountains in Turkey 
to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, and as far east as central Iran. The Uruk period civilization, which was spread by Sumerian traders and colonists, had an effect on all surrounding cultures who gradually evolved their own comparable competing economies and cultures. But, given the technology of the time, the city-states of Sumer could not maintain remote, long-distance colonies by military force, so, even to them, politics were local. Sumerian cities during the Uruk period were probably theocratic and were most likely headed by a priestly governor or by a king. These rulers, whether a priest or a king, were tied to the city's religious rituals. The leader was assisted by a council of elders, including both men and women. It is quite possible that the later Sumerian body politic was modeled upon this type of structure. There is little evidence of a standing army during the Uruk period, and the towns were generally without an outer protective wall. It was during this time that the city-state of Uruk became the most urbanized city in the world, surpassing for the first time 50,000 inhabitants. As I'm sure you've surmised, this is the primary reason the period is named as it is. The people called Sumerians, whose language became the prevailing language of the territory, probably came from around Anatolia, in present-day Turkey, arriving in Sumer around 3300 BC. The first settlement in southern Mesopotamia was Eridu. The Sumerians claimed that their civilization had been brought, fully formed, to the city of Eridu by their god Enki, or in different sources by his advisor, Abdept Uan. Most likely, the people at Eridu brought with them the Sumerian culture from northern Mesopotamia, and are identified with the Ubaid period but it is not known whether or not these were Sumerians. Their government, and with it the development of a system of administration, led to the development of clay writing tablets around 3500 BC, and this in consequence led to ideographic writing around 3100 BC. You may be wondering how this came about, as are many archaeologists. The simplest explanation is that with the agrarian society, it became necessary to track the ownership of land and clay tablets with rudimentary writing provided a permanent way of keeping these records. I went into far more detail into the theory around the development of this writing in the last episode, and if you missed it and are curious, please go back and give it a listen. Sumer was also the site of the early development of writing, progressing from a stage of proto-writing in the mid-4th millennium BC to writing proper in the 3rd millennium BC. The earliest tablets depict complex arithmetic calculations, such as the areas of field plots. However, they have never been fully deciphered. It is not even certain that the few words on these tablets represent the Sumerian language. The Sumerian's cuneiform writing is thought by many to be the oldest written language that has been deciphered. Some, though, believe that the Egyptian hieroglyphs may be a little older. Of course, this also was covered in great detail in the last episode, but there is one thing I forgot to mention. The theory that the Sumerians were the first to develop writing is not without controversy, as the status of even older inscriptions, such as the Jehu symbols and the Tartaria tablets. The Jehu symbols were discovered in 1999 and date to around 6600 BC. These 16 symbols are thought to be a sort of signs, but not part of a full-fledged writing system. The Tartaria tablets were found in 1961 in Romania, and date to about 5300 BC. However, the dating of these tablets is extremely uncertain, and many researchers believe that the tablets are forgeries. Back in Sumer, other technological advancements abound. 
evidence of wheeled vehicles appeared in the mid-4th millennium BC, near simultaneously in Mesopotamia, the Northern Caucasus, in what is called the Mycop culture, and also in Central Europe. The wheel initially took the form of the potter's wheel. The new concept quickly led to wheeled vehicles and milling wheels. The belief that it occurred near simultaneously in several regions is not very surprising, as a wheel is easy to replicate and made the trade between these areas that much easier. But, because it appeared in all these areas at about the same time, it is extremely unclear from which society it originated. By the late 4th millennium BC, Sumer was divided into about a dozen independent city-states, which were further divided by canals and boundary stones. Each city-state was centered on a temple dedicated to the particular patron god or goddess of that city. Most of these city-states were in the Euphrates-Tigris alluvial plain, south and mostly east of present-day Baghdad. There were only two exceptions, Mari in present-day southeastern Syria, and Nagar, an outpost, in present-day northeastern Syria. Permanent year-round urban settlements were probably enabled by successful agricultural practices. The work required in maintaining irrigation canals required relatively concentrated populations. Also, the productive agricultural practices resulted in surplus food supplies. By the 3rd millennium BC, the country was the site of at least 12 separate city-states. Uruk, one of Sumer's largest cities, is estimated to have had a population of 50,000 to 80,000 at its peak. Given the other cities in Sumer, and the large agricultural population, a rough estimate for the total population of Sumer might be somewhere between 800,000 and 1.5 million people. For perspective, the world population at this time has been estimated to have been about 27 million people. The city-states of Eridu and Uruk, two of the earliest cities, had elaborate temples built of mud-based bricks. These started as small shrines from the earliest settlements, and by the early dynastic period, they had become the most imposing structures in their respective cities, each dedicated to its own respective god. Not to forget, Uruk is mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 verse 10 as a city of Nimrod. The history for the next period of time in Sumer is known due to a certain discovery. The Sumerian King List is an ancient text in the Sumerian language that lists the kings of Sumer, including a few foreign dynasties. It includes the early dynasties of several prominent cities from this period. The first eight names on the list are of kings said to have reigned before a major flood occurred. These early names may be fictional, and include some legendary and mythological figures, such as Elulim and Dumazid. The Sumerian king list is a cuneiform document, probably written by a scribe of the city of Lagash, sometime around 2100 BC, and it lists all of the kings of the region and their accomplishments in an attempt to show the continuity of order in society dating back to what they consider to be the beginning of civilization. Several versions of the list have been discovered, and I'll post a photo of one of them on the podcast Facebook page. The early dynastic period, which was from about 2900 to 2300 BC, saw the subtle shift from a priest-king to a more modern-day concept of a king. This king was known to the locals as the Lugal, which literally translates to the phrase, Big Man. The city-states of Sumer, during this time, fought for control of arable land and water rights until the rise of the first dynasty of Lagash in 2500 BC. Under their king, Ientuam, Lagash became the center of a small empire which included most of Sumer and parts of the neighboring Elam. 
The major city-states of the time were Kish, Uruk, Ur, Nippur, and Uma. Each of these states consisted of a walled city and its surrounding villages and land, and each worshipped its own deity, whose temple was the central structure of that city. Political power originally belonged to the citizens, but as rivalry between the various city-states increased, each became governed by a monarch. The first ruler of Sumer, whose deeds are recorded, is a king by the name of Etna of Kish, who may have come to the throne quite early in the 3rd millennium BC. In the king list, he is described as, quoting, he who stabilized all the lands. The Mesopotamians generally, and the Sumerians more specifically, believed that civilization was the result of the gods, and that's plural, triumph of order over chaos. The king list is believed by researchers as having been created to legitimize the reign of a king named Uta Hegel of Uruk, who ruled sometime around 2100 BC. The list is thought to bring legitimacy to him by showing he was the most recent in a long line of rulers of the region. That first king on the list, Etna, is famous from the myth of the man who ascends to heaven on the back of an eagle. He, like other kings mentioned in the list, such as Dumazid and Gilgamesh, was known for superhuman feats and heroism. And in that, maybe they weren't terribly different from us, as in our age of Photoshop, it's easy to find a world leader pictured on the back of an eagle. Just think of Vladimir Putin. Like I mentioned several weeks ago, in the Global Creation Stories episode, the Mesopotamians believed that the gods had set everything in motion and that human beings were created as co-laborers with the gods to maintain order and hold back chaos. It is believed that the early writers of history in the region concentrated more on the links between the rulers and their gods than on the actual history. In fact, the writing down of the history of human accomplishments seems to have been considered as a matter of little importance for these writers, and, as a result, the early history of Sumer has been deduced from the archaeological and geological record more than from written tradition, and therefore much information is still unknown to modern scholars. According to the Sumerian king list, when the gods first gave human beings the gifts necessary for cultivating society, they did so by establishing the city of Eridu in the region of Sumer. While the Sumerian city of Uruk is held to be the oldest city in the world, the ancient Mesopotamians believed that Eridu was the oldest, and it was there that order was established and civilization began. And this is interesting. If you work under the assumption that the current research is correct, it helps to demonstrate that these cities were established long before their histories were recorded in writing. But like I said before, the pre-flood portions of the king list are viewed by many to be nothing more than myth. But then, there was a major flood. And about that flood, archaeologists have discovered the presence of a widespread layer of riverine silt deposits shortly after a change in the regional climate that interrupted the sequence of settlement. Whatever happened, it left a few feet, or close to a meter, of yellow sediment in the cities of Sheperpec and Uruk, and extended as far north as Kish. All three of these cities are along the Euphrates, and the distance between the two furthest is about 100 miles, or 160 kilometers. Multicolored pottery has been found below this yellow layer, and dates to around 3000 BC, indicating that the flood occurred some time after that. Above the layer was pottery from what is called the Early Dynastic Period. The end of the Uruk period coincided with a dry climatic period from about 3200 to 2900 BC. At that time, a wetter, warmer climate that had started around 7000 BC ended. And with that, I'm going to stop. 
and pick it up next week with the early dynastic period and more in-depth coverage of the King List. You don't want to miss it. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. Believe it or not, this helps others to learn about it. And if you're enjoying the podcast, go to iTunes and give it a positive review. That too will help others to find it. Thanks for listening and have a great week.